If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. And now for an explosive interview. Stay tuned. And welcome back to the Explominate Podcast. I'm your host, Ben, and this week we've got Sean. Hey, how's it going, Ben? Not bad, sir. How are you? Yeah, not bad. A little bit average. I've been a bit crook, but we're getting there. <laughs> yeah, I get you. We've also got Drexy hanging around in the background. Hello. <laughs> how's it going, Drex? Not bad. <laughs> Drexy's feeling all shy today, so we're probably not going to hear too much. Um, and this week we've got a very, very special guest. I'd like to introduce you to Lee Harris. Hello. Happy to be here. And Lee is the developer of an upcoming RTS game called Fragile Existence. Lee, I wonder if you could introduce you, yourself to us and tell us about, a little bit about your game. Okay, well, obviously I'm Lee. I'm the solo developer of an upcoming real-time strategy slash 4X slash survival slash a bunch of other things game that I've been working on for around 15 months now. I sort of recently reached the point where I wanted to, you know, put it out there, reveal it to people, see how people felt about it been working on it for a while it's my baby i love working on it my background isn't really in game dev i guess that's kind of interesting but um i'm sure you guys will ask a few questions going into detail so what is it you did before game development then slightly unorthodox background i guess or i mean you guys tell me whether this is unorthodox but um i actually didn't go to uni until recently so i actually graduated at the age of 38 so i'm 40 now Back when I was a wee little one and I finished high school in 96, I basically didn't even know what a, a university was, if I'm honest. Like, I, I went to college, I did IT, and I had a little bit of background doing that. And uh, I think that's quite common, I guess, for people who are interested in computers and that kind of thing. And, and you don't really know what you want to do, so you go, right, I'm going to fix them. That, that'll do. Did a little bit of that. And then I sort of went around doing a bunch of retail work and warehouse work. And, you know, it's not particularly notable, but, yeah, fun people. You know, it was a good time. And then at one point, I, I kind of noticed that a lot of the people that um, came and worked at those kind of places, you know, they were temping. They were people who were at university and were going to go off and follow their dreams, that kind of thing. And I was like, wait, wait, I'm pretty smart. Why can't I do that? And so, you know, I saved up enough money and went to university went to Nottingham here in the UK. Uh, I'd studied physics with the intention of doing a you know, PhD and doing research, that kind of thing. And at some point, I just sort of went, do I really want to do this? Do I really love research enough? Or did I just watch the Big Bang Theory and get, kind of get sucked in a little bit? Uh, yeah, so my friends were like, Lee, you would make a great teacher. And I was like, yeah, you sure? I, I mean, I'm pretty immature. 
And they were like, yeah, yeah, we're absolutely convinced. So I went and trained to be a teacher. And so I taught, well, physics, but they make you, they make you do all of it. They make you do science in general. And I'm not a fan of biology, really. Did a little bit of that. And at some point I was like, do I like this? It's kind of a, a lot of work. Because uh, it's ironic now that I'm a game developer and there's probably twice as much work. I, I basically left my job as a teacher just as the COVID uprising was sort of coming about. I just happened to have enough savings. I basically started looking for jobs and then it was just like, well, there's nothing. You know, it's the, the economy is shutting down. Let, let's just, I don't know, work on support portfolio pieces. I, mean, I guess I'm going into the history of the game a, a little bit now, but like, it kind of ties in. I was like, okay, I'll make some little portfolio pieces. And so I started doing that, playing in Unreal and, uh, and Unity eventually. That's kind of where the game came from. As for what I did before, I mean, I guess nothing game dev related. I mean, it's interesting because I've got a similar background to you in that respect because I'm, I'm currently at uni now. I, um, I was actually going to go to Nottingham and I, I ended up coming to Edinburgh instead. That's I'm still good. here. Yeah, right. Um, but I'm, I'm like, I'm 42 uh, at the end of September. So yeah, I, I'm also a late, as a late uni person. So I, I understand how difficult that is because it's really not that easy. I don't think to go to do the university thing as a mature student. I think it's it's much more difficult. At least I think it is. I, I, I certainly know that the failure rate for mature students at my uni is really, really high. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I could probably talk about that at length, but I mean, I guess that's an entirely separate subject I, I was quite yeah. lucky in that the people i met were fantastic and i would say that the four years i was at uni were the, the greatest years of my life quite easy but i was very very lucky i think a lot of the other mature students i met were not so lucky and and yeah a lot of them disappeared yeah right i can understand that but it's interesting um, just before we move on to talk about the game I'm, I'm interested to know you said you're doing quite a lot of manual stuff did you find that when you were doing jobs like that that it kind of got your mind working because i kind of after like th- nearly three years now of studying computer science, part of me kind of just wants to go back to doing manual labor. <laughs> I feel that that kind of stuff, it really gets my mind working and, it, and especially for creative projects, like nothing killed my desire to program like doing it at university. Whereas when I was doing other stuff, I, I was like really into my coding when I got back home. So <laughs> interested yeah, to know what your thoughts on that are. It's a case of working a job where you can just shut your brain off, right? So if it, you just go into autopilot and you got a lot of free time to just you know let your brain wander away and and dream of things you you would rather be doing i think i think think that's ultimately what it comes down to yeah absolutely and you know i think some people really thrive with with that kind of thing let's let's have a look at your game sir because that's why we are here and i think sean's gonna ask you some questions about it okay yeah so what i wanted to say first off is could you tell us what is fragile existence you like what would you say fragile existence is uh, well, I'm guilty of like name dropping of other brands and that, but I mean, I think the game to me is Battlestar Galactica, the remake. If you basically put it in, you know, our future instead of that, you know, the make believe world that, of course, it was. I know there was Earth in that universe, but you know what I mean. You know, we're escaping from Earth instead of the uh, Caprica or whatever it was. It, it really kind of comes from. Honestly, my background really is more in 4X than RTS. It's kind of a happy accident that I ended up merging the two because I originally started making quite much simpler concepts that, you know, were two-dimensional, your your standard sort of galaxy map and using the mouse to sort of click on worlds and, you know, and and sending settlers out, that kind of thing. I've actually done prototypes, that kind of thing, in Unreal. I even had some multiplayer sort of basics working as well. 
And and like my favorite four X, would have heard of it. Uh, stars exclamation mark. Yeah, we've heard of stars. I've I've yeah. not actually played it yet, but loads of the people in our community keep pestering me to try. I know it's an old game, but apparently it's, it's a really old. really solid one. It it doesn't necessarily hold up as well now. It depends on what your priorities are. I mean, I think a lot of people need graphics these days, and it's kind of understandable. Um, but anyway, it, it's I don't quite... care about that. <laughs> I don't care about <laughs> graphics at all. I mean, I'll play Aurora Four X. <laughs> I say I that, but I actually didn't get very far with it. <laughs> but anyway, like at the core, that that is what interests me: the idea of that that sort of grand strategy out in space and expanding outwards, and those core tenets. But at some point, I got really annoyed by how we have to represent the ground surface in in these sort of games, in in space games, obviously, where you have that representative tiles based system or you know, some sort of little map that represents your units landing on the ground. And then there'll be a little bar that sort of goes up and says, this is your attack strength. And you don't really get involved with it, which is completely understandable because the developers have chosen to focus on the space layer and how all that works and making that good. And then they've just gone, well, we want to we send down planetary invasion. So let's just do some nice way we can do that. And I get that um, because, yeah, my project essentially has gone all right, no, I'm not okay with that. I want real planets. I want there to be a physical sphere. It's the only thing that works. If you just have a 2D map, you're never going to be able to go very far with that. You're always very limited by that. And so I was like, okay, let's just give people a real planet and see what we can do with that. And I think planetary annihilation, it's sort of, I, I, I was a, a background PA and I think that must have really spurred my interest in like the building these planets and all the planetary uh, generation technology. And I basically just imitated what I saw there, if I'm completely honest. And I think that shows in the visuals. That, to me, feels like the answer. That's the way of having a space game that is a 4X, but you've also got the full experience of like the ground invasion type stuff. And, and then I kind of absorbed the Battlestar Galactica theme, and that kind of helped me because it turns out when you've got all these planets that you're generating in that way they use up a lot of memory so you can't do the traditional expanding outwards kind of thing i mean maybe you will be able to eventually when technology moves on a little bit more but as it is if you want to be able to hop between planets at will you you've got to limit how big those planets are going to be so uh, fragile existence really is the idea of how can we take the traditional 4x model and and take it a little bit further and i know a lot of people probably say that but i'm really trying to find a game design that lets us do it. And it turns out that adding in an RTS, even though that's not necessarily something that I, in, I intended to do, it kind of, it just works. Like, because otherwise the ground surface, it just, it, it's just going to be flat. It, it, there's going to be no real experience to it, except, oh, I sent a vehicle down and it's moving around. You, you, again, you could, you know, you could twist your, your methodology again and just have a, a 3D sphere where there's little interaction and that would still be wrong. I think, it needs the RTS layer. And so it's grown into quite a big thing, I will admit. And now the fact that you can actually zoom the camera down to each ship, uh, it's basically grown a bit of a homeworldness as well. And uh, people will understandably be like, you're trying to do too much. And that's fair enough. But I think this is the only way it can really work. You know, at least the dream of the ground interaction existing with the space layer and still having all the 4X-ness. Yeah, right. And speaking of the transition between the space and the ground layer, I don't know of any other games that do this. I mean, they may be out there, but I haven't heard of them. Did your, Being that you're only one person, did you find it particularly difficult to make the tech work with the ground and space transitions? 
Uh, well, not necessarily, because I mean, we call it a transition. It, it, it's transition-less by design. So when you start a game in FE, and, and you can already do this, you go from the menu, you, you, you select your scenario, you select like your, your solar system that you're going to be in and, and, or your chain of solar systems, how they're all connected. And you, you, know, you jump in, there's a warp conduit type thing. There has to be a warp conduit because it's generating the entire sort of solar system all around you. You can't see it. And so right from that moment, it's seamless by design. There's, there's no loading screens. There's no mission briefings. There's no, right, here's this screen that's distracting you whilst we load in so-and-so. The walk conduit is the only sort of excuse I have, and that's why I've got to have that. There was definitely a, a long period, about six months, I think, where I kind of went a bit quiet on my YouTube channel because I was doing like devlog type things. I still do to some degree, but I kind of went a bit quiet when I was researching like how, how these planets had to work and how you know, how all that tech had to sort of be based in order for the space stuff to work with it. And so, I mean, in terms of the actual game in Unity, like it all just sort of, uh, how can I explain it? It kind of like, there is no transition. It's just in one level. Everything is generated like behind the scenes. Everything works on the same principles. The ground units use basically the same code as the ships. It's all sort of designed to be as flexible as possible. But in terms of like whether it's hard to make that kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. Like it's very technical. Thankfully, I'm a pretty good programmer. I mean, if I do say so myself, and I think that background has really helped because it's been very, very technical, very sort of like low layer stuff. A lot of it isn't particularly interesting to talk about, but it kind of just needs to be done. It's interesting because I don't really know much about the game. Um, other than I've just kind of read some of the basic stuff that you sent through to us. How is it that the players can interact with these planets that you've created? Because it looks to me like everything's fully 3d and you know you can your ships orbital bombard the planets and do you have like kind of ground-based weapons that can attack the ships as they're coming in is is it like fully featured in that respect so that's the intention yeah and i think a lot of people will struggle to appreciate that that's what you can do they'll look at the pictures and they'll be like oh okay so that's a two-dimensional representation or you know something like that no it, it it's, it's a full rts in space much like homeworld and it is a full RTS on the ground, much like PA. You can just send dropships from space and it carries things down to the ground. You can shoot, in theory, obviously, a unit can shoot it up into space. I say in theory, it's like, I mean, realistically, is that a thing? Like, <laughs> what kind of rockets can get into space? Um, in theory, yes. And same with the ships being able to bombard the ground. So, yeah, it, the game is more focused on expeditionary like forces i guess i don't want to say combat because that's not exclusively what it's about but the idea being that you know your your fleet is moving through the solar system or the universe as a whole and it's coming across planets and then you're you're planning your expeditions there's a little bit of sort of pre-planning like what units you need on what ships and what ships need to be in what place to for you to sort of survey a certain area on the planet send the dropships down build a little base do whatever that base needs to accomplish uh, generally finding supplies, resources, that kind of thing. The idea, at least, is that the planets are not a separate thing. It's completely integrated. And, yeah, I guess that is kind of not new, I say, because PA does it. But PA doesn't have, like, a space layer, really. It does have spaceships, but it doesn't. It definitely doesn't focus on it in the way that I hope that I am. I mean, obviously, it's not going to be quite like Homeworld. It's going to be like Homeworld Light, I guess, is probably true, because it's not a fully three-dimensional space. I kind of came up with the idea that the ships move around in orbit, which I kind of like anyway. I think it works quite well. 
but the ships can also move between planets and that kind of thing as well. So it's got a bit of everything. Yeah, right. So just going off what you were saying about the your ships being part of a sort of an expeditionary force, uh, I was reading about the plot a little while ago, and it was saying about how your the the story is essentially that your fleet is like a flotilla. It's on the run from this massive, overwhelming force that's attacked their planets and wiped out most of humanity. Is there any sort of have you come up with much in the way of law behind who the enemy are, their motivations, like why they're trying to kill everyone, that sort of thing? Yeah, so I have, but I don't necessarily want to reveal too much about that. Like, obviously, it's important to know a little bit about that because it's kind of a key part of the game. But I've deliberately kind of kept certain things vague because I want that to be part of the storyline. I am a bit of a storyteller. I like, I like the idea that the game does have quite a rich story and like lots of twists and that kind of thing. You know, as the Exodus fleet is moving away from Earth, you're going to actually find things that sort of start building out that story but in terms of like their raw capacity of this this fleet they will chase you no matter what it's it basically the Cylons from Battlestar but like I'm not I'm going to say they're not machines there's not that parallel they are they are out to cause the end of humanity and they will stop at nothing and they are extremely more overpowered than you are like generally you will need to flee like you can fight them to a certain degree but you're going to suffer losses. So the idea is it kind of forces you forward. So they will have they will have things that appear quite alien. Let's say that. You've definitely piqued my interest talking about Battlestar Galactica, the, the, the reboot, because that's one of my favourite series ever. I absolutely love it. Uh, I think it's underrated, if anything. And, you know, I know it's quite highly rated. So that, that's how much I, lo- I love that show. So if you've taken some, any kind of inspiration from, you know, the, the wealth of, I don't know, just the rich content that is in that show, then I, I think we're in for a treat. Yeah, of course, there's only so much you can do from this sort of strategic layer. Like, we can't necessarily get into uh, individual character development in the way that the show can. But I'm hoping to convey some of that sort of feeling of loss and and, and, and this sort of grievance for, you know, the civilization that's now gone and how, how society now has to function as a fleet. As, that's what I love most about the new Battlestar Galactica. I know some people will say, oh, it's too political or whatever, but you needed that. You needed that sort of like all the religious, political and sociological problems of now society is this fleet. Uh, and, you know, and there's that one scene where they're like, why do we have ships that, uh, sorry, why do we have a council that represents the original colonies now that doesn't make any sense? We should have captains because we are a fleet. And I kind of want things like that, that kind of flavor. There is, there is going to be like leader characters that sort of drive the story. The story is quite open-ended because you can actually go anywhere. You can choose which systems you're going to move to. Like I said, there's no mission briefings or anything like that. It, you have a, a, a solar system that you start in. It's just off from Earth after it's destroyed. And basically you're taking the fleet out and you're making choices about where you go. And, and it's all in your hands each of the systems is kind of handcrafted. So the story is guided uh, through these characters and their decisions and their choices. So you'll have certain people aboard the ships, certain factions that belong to certain factions, and they'll be like, no, we, I think we should do this. We should be focusing on that. I, wait, we need to start gathering these sort of supplies. And it's like, you've got to try and keep them happy. And, and that's the, the only kind of characterization you can really do from a strategic layer. You can't really get into uh, the kind of, you know, nuanced stuff that the show covered but you you try and do your best i was thinking of a couple of other examples of that too battlestar galactic deadlock actually did one called operation anabasis which is a similar sort of survival thing 
where the colonials were trying to escort a civilian fleet to safety. And there's a few other examples. Like I think Mass Effect did something like that with the Quarians. So there's a few of those tropes floating around. Now, with the fleet itself, like it's sort of some sort of almost like an Exodus fleet, right? I'm just trying to get an idea of the scale of how, how, how large is this fleet that you're controlling roughly? So this depends on what game mode we're talking about. In terms of the story, there'll be sort of like introductory, tutorial-y bits where you'll be introduced to a set beginning fleet. So, and then the characters aboard certain ships. And then these little groups will kind of come together and you'll have the fleet, which you come to recognize as the fleet you play with, but you're still able to build extra stuff and, and, and expand that. And obviously you can lose ships as well. But, you know, in terms of the story, there will be quite sort of set ships um, with specific models, probably. But in terms of like other game modes, you can, you know, you can ultimately, there'll be a scenario editor. You can set up what your starting conditions are, what kind of world you can go and explore. And so the fleet in that sense is whatever the design of the scenario has stated. So like a scenario, I know it's a, a commonly used word now, but like it basically is uh, like the scenarios in civilization, I think of it, like, you know, setting up a very specific focused sort of campaign, I guess, like a small thing. And they'll be like, okay, the sun is about to go Nova. You've got three in, in-game days to evacuate this system and you know, you've got no ships or something. You start on the ground and you've got to build up from scratch and try to escape that solar system or something. That, that's what I consider a scenario. But there's also going to be like skirmish type stuff so you can just face off against another fleet or that kind of thing. And that does eventually, hopefully, lead to multiplayer, but that's not a current focus. I'm designing the game with that in mind because I know people will want it. And ultimately, the multiplayer will be similar to what you'd find in Homeworld, except with planets added in to give it more flavor. Uh, but again, I'm not committing to that right now, but I, that's where I want to go with it. I also want to do a co-op mode for the story. So like control different uh, subsets of the fleet. I think that would be really interesting. And I, I, again, I'm designing the game with all that kind of thing in mind. You know, like um, everything's deterministic, which means all the commands are, go through like a command buffer. And it just makes it easy to adapt for multiplayer down the line. But in terms of what your fleet actually is, your composition, it's obviously going to vary based on the story, how well you're doing. And uh, it's a little bit like Homeworld in that you know how, you know, if you're one of those people who like has to build everything and then never lose a ship and you're like, no, I'm going to reload. I just lost one of my ships and it's not happening. Then you know, you could end the game with a massive fleet. And that would be true in uh, FE as well. It sounds to me like you've kind of, you set a goal of creating a sandbox within which you can then present certain, you know, situations to players so that it can appeal to people once they've, once they've kind of exhausted like the sort of, I, I'm guessing there's a kind of skirmish mode, what I would call a skirmish mode. Does that sound right to you? You know, like where you, you have this kind of like sandbox, I guess sort of a single game sandbox where you, you know, you have a certain amount of AI opponents or is it, is it not structured like that? I don't think it can be because of the nature of the general plot of the, the campaign, at least being uh, that, you know, you are a human fleet escaping an enemy force. I don't necessarily think of it as a territorial game. And a lot of people do because, you know, it looks like PA and they're like, oh, yes, it's a it's a revolutionary version of PA where there's actual ships. And I'm like, well, kind of, but not really. I, I don't know whether territorial combat is ever really going to work fully, but I, it maybe could. The skirmish to me, I guess, is more like you're, you get a player fleet, this guy gets a player fleet, 
and they you know you starting with the same things probably and then won't necessarily be multiple factions mm, yeah probably not you know and you're fighting over i don't know the last supplies in the solar system or something so it's similar but yeah probably a little bit nuanced so you're um planning mod support will players be able to like build their own scenarios with their own stories and stuff like that within the game so- engine yeah, so that sort of stuff comes with the game itself. Like I've already built most of that. So there's a planet editor, there's a solar system editor, and then there's the node-based scenario editor. Uh, and that's going to work like if you've ever played around with like Unreal Blueprints or that kind of thing. Uh, it's quite common in a lot of software stuff these days where you kind of connect uh, logic together. In, in, it's sort of like a, a simple way of programming. And so there'll be like a, a built-in scripting language, essentially, that lets you do all that kind of thing, put triggers down and set events and that kind of thing. But it, when we use the word mod, a lot of people automatically think, oh, I want to change all the models to Star Wars, Star Destroyers and things like that. That is not necessarily coming straight away. Like the official support is to build your own scenarios, but you'll be limited to using the existing model. Um, but that's a limitation that can go away eventually. Sure. So... When I was reading about this, it's saying you, it seems like you're going for a fair degree of realism as well with uh, things like you're physicalizing the ballistics in the ships and the resources that are required to run each ship. Like you'll have actual rooms and facilities on board the ships and proper crew sort of virtualized as working on the ship. Uh, what can you tell us about all these systems, how how they're designed? Okay, so first off, the um, the weapon particles themselves aren't technically physicalized like i say it's all deterministic so when you take when you fire a shot you behind the scenes the game engine already knows whether that shot is hit or not but from a visual perspective it'll look like a physical particle so it's not quite doing what todd is doing with falling frontier with the purely physicalized projectiles that can bounce off and ricochet and that kind of thing i'm keeping it sort of a bit more old school and um you know weapons based on stats which tells you whether you're going to hit or not uh, so there's a, the ships themselves have a lot of statistics, and I think people like that. Like personally, I, I like seeing numbers going up, and I know that they they take advantage of these days of games like the division and that. But let's, I'm not talking about going that far. The ships are going to have levels and things like that. There there is the idea that each ship and each unit, in fact, uh, are made up of components or modules. It depends on how, whatever terminology you want to use. And so on a ship, that means a room, a room that has a function, and then you can put things inside that room. So like the bridge can have a scanning system. It can have, um, you know, something else like a tractor beam system or something like that. And whatever you add to the ship based on how much uh, available volume there is and how much available power there is and how many like crew members you can assign to that particular sort of device or component that determines what that ship can do and in fact the the ships and the units on the ground and and basically anything the player can control are all based on the same thing so there's actually no difference between a ship and a ground unit in terms of the game uh it's just defined by the structure so you so that's kind of like your base so you go so like a like a carrier spaceship for example the structure is the carrier and then that determines how much available space there is, uh, you know, like what, how, what's a, where you can put the various components and that kind of thing. And so there's actually no distinction between a ground unit and a space unit except for what you define it can do. So everything's completely modular. But obviously going into details of what specific things you can add is obviously something for later, really, and a lot of testing and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. So with all the depth you're going into with this stuff, are you sort of aiming for more 
are you looking at directing this more towards the simulation end of things or sort of prioritizing gameplay over realism sort of thing? Yeah, well, yeah. So it it is gameplay over realism. But yeah, I think it's fair to call it a, a, a simulation light. I guess I'm kind of trying to have my cake and eat it really. Like I'm trying to do a bit of everything. Like it's trying to be a 4X. It's trying to be a real-time strategy. It's trying to be a space sim. And I guess I feel like that is the way forward. Like we've had games where they just focus on one genre and those games are good. We don't need to replace them. We We need to try sort of matching other things together and see what comes out of it. And it's experimental, you know, you got to see what sort of works and what doesn't. I, I think it's important as a space fan myself, uh, and recently watching through the expanse again, I really want some of that gritty realism and, and that kind of harshness of space. And, and I think the way to do that is to make your ships feel real, having all those details. Yeah, I, I, I guess it is more of a simulation than I give it credit for, but um, it's so much of so many things. Yeah, and it is really cool to see people like you and Todd that we were talking about coming out with these new games, particularly on your own. It's, it sort of seems very out of left field, it's, and it's really, really interesting just from the fact that it's something different. Well, I mean, the only reason that these sort of endeavours exist at all is because of the prevalence of things like Unity and Unreal. I, I don't think we would, you know, we would necessarily be able to do this if those things didn't exist. So it's great that they do. And I mean, I could talk at great length about, you know, the notion of solo dev versus teamwork and, and, and going into AAA and that. But that's probably a whole different tangent. Uh, but it, I think it's um, it's definitely nice to see. It's almost like the rise of, uh, I'm trying not to give myself too much credit here, but like the rise of of, an, of the artistry in, in game dev. Like, it, it feels like I'm working... Well, I get up every day. I, I work long days on this. I feel like I'm an artist. You know, does that sound... I, I don't know. Does that sound weird? <laughs> no, it doesn't. That sounds dead on. And I think that the end product will reflect that kind of dedication. I mean, uh, the times that I've got really, really involved in my arts and, you know, disappeared for days into it, that's always been the time when... You know, the sort of the inner muse starts to speak to you, and you really see the results in the end product. I'm, uh, I'm interested to know. It's funny because we're talking about this game, and there's been some emphasis on the fact that it's a kind of like a 4x, and it's also kind of like an RTS. It's interesting that I think in recent years those two genres seem to have kind of diverged, but it wasn't that uncommon actually in the 90s when both both of those sort of two seemingly disparate genres they actually kind of had some kind of shared shared trajectory through their development and it was quite common for 4x games to have rts elements and rts games to kind of like lean into so you know to, well more about the 4x i'd say i'd say 4x often borrowed from rts and there are loads of examples of this uh, you know throughout the 90 the late 90s and the early 2000s do you feel like you're kind of continuing on with some kind of tradition there and reconnecting those two those two sort of seemingly disparate genres together I mean, we're talking about titles where they used to try to do a a real time strategy planetary element, right? Like um, Empires at War does that, right? So yeah, Empires at War is one example, but not just necessarily. Like there can be certain things, like just things like shared UI, because Forex games started to kind of get this kind of almost like an RTS ish sort of UI in there as well, and uh, you know and. And eventually you're going to end up with games like Sins of a Solar Empire, which is literally like a cross between the two genres. So yeah, I just think that there was these kind of like, they just seem to borrow ideas from one another, whether it's, you know, directly having a, an RTS layer within the 4X game, like you say, with Empires of War, or whether it was just kind of picking 
okay, well, we're going to take the resource management from this style of game, or here's diplomacy, that kind of thing. Well, I mean, what does RTS mean at its core, really? I mean, we're just talking about real-time strategy, right? Like, I think games have, in the past, used to try to be turn-based, and now we're in an era where everyone's like, nah, I don't really like that anymore. Uh, Give us real-time, but give us the option to pause things, maybe, and, um, you know, give us some time to think. Um, I don't know. I think it's fashionable at the moment for everything to be real time. And I, I guess there's just such great turn-based games out there that they've had to try to find a way to make you know real time strategy work. And they've had to look towards classic real time strategy game. And I think it. I think it works. Like like it, it can potentially offer too much complexity. And I think that's a, a real struggle from a game design perspective. Um, but I think it probably is the future. I mean, I, I have a theory that all the genres are going to mix eventually and we're, you know, like there is going to be no genres at this rate, but you know, that's a long way away. Yeah, we often have this argument on, on Explorminate that it's just, we, we call it the genre argument with a sort of tired sigh because some people really, really like excessively and meticulously classifying everything and other people like kind of like myself find it a little bit pointless because everything just seems so arbitrary. And this is an old argument that goes back to, aesthetics in philosophy i think and it's been going on for a long time but you know the the sort of desire to classify everything has been something that's been in mankind's blood ever since sort of paracelsus i guess and you've kind of wandered around and tried to t- tell uh, try to classify every single plant and what it did <laughs> and you know i think that sometimes people get a little bit too hung up on these genre definitions i definitely think that forex can kind of has has kind of painted itself into a little bit of a, a turn-based strategy box when it comes to some of the new titles that are coming out because it's like players will often reject something if it isn't too close to something that they've already seen mm-hmm. and so i guess that leads to well what are what kind of expectations are you are you trying to engender in the in the people that you want to buy your game when you're sort of presenting these so i guess we're talking about marketing to a certain degree here like um I think expectation like, management just in general, I, I don't know if it's necessarily a marketing thing. It's just, you know, like, I think that you, I guess you're always going to be looking at a certain audience, right? And you're saying that you think that RTS is like, or, or real-time strategy games. And I mean that in a literal sense, not necessarily like, you know, June 2 or whatever. Um, I think the real-time strategy, if you think the real-time strategy games are the way things are going, how are you kind of like promoting that to people in a sense? I guess this goes back to, no, we're talking about genres. And me trying to work out what genre my game even belonged in. If you look on my website, I actually have a, I have three tags under the name just because I needed to tell people what it is. It, it says RTS, 4X, Survival. Those are the three I've gone for. But Simulation probably goes in there as well. And for me, it, it's difficult to know where my game lands. And I think this is, goes back to where genres kind of hit you a bit. Like people are so used to going... I, I like 4X games, so I want to play a 4X game. And it's like, well, okay, what, what, what are we talking about now? Like, I think classifying things is unfortunately required by Steam, by YouTube, by all the various platforms that you exist on, because you need to convey what you are and to be classified for search engines and that kind of thing. <laughs> so it, it's weird. Like, in terms of the expectations of FE itself, like, I, I, I don't know. It's going to be awkward because some people will look at my game and instantly know what they see in it. They will be like, oh, yes, that's a territorial planetary annihilation style game. And other people will look at the space stuff and be, oh, it's, a, it's another Homeworld game, um, you know, that we can play while we're waiting for Homeworld 3. And because I'm coming at it from so many different angles, 
I think I'm going to end up letting somebody down because they're going to be like, oh, that's actually not what I thought it was. And so that's very tricky. And that's something I obviously need to work with in the future. It's interesting because I think that when you get a game that is popular, but is also genre straddling, so to speak, um, you can, I often see with games like this, especially in places like Steam, there are people who are looking at it just from one of those specific genres. And then they say something like, well, this game sucks because the random, you know, the random content in it makes it too hard. And well, maybe that's because you're looking at it as a 4x game and actually if it's marketed as a 4x stroke roguelike then you know maybe you're kind of missing one half of the thing and so when i'm talking about it, man, uh, managing expectations to some extent uh, i think it can be important to to kind of be quite clear about what it is that you think the game is because i think if you can he- if you can get that solid in your mind then you're able to head off some of these these kind of early criticisms where people have really like you say you look at that game and say well that looks like planetary annihilation and it's not really you know so then i think it's good to be able to kind of head head people off at the past there and say hey you know this there's more to it than that and maybe if you look at it from a from a slightly different perspective then you might get more out of it well, I think this is why I spent quite a bit of time on the trailer that I recently put out because I really needed to convey what it was. And I'm hoping that I've done a good job with that. Like, I feel like the having like the story beats in the trailer towards the end, it kind of really says, look, you're a fleet. We, we need this fleet to survive. And this is what you're up against. And boom, you know, it's it, nothing in that trailer kind of suggests, ah, this is a regular RTS or, you know, this is just a homeworld clone. Homeworld clone is that a thing? You can't just clone that. Um, <laughs> it it probably is now. <laughs> Somebody will have had that idea. But yeah, so like I'm trying to get better at conveying what it is, but of course, yes, you, you're subverting expectations. And people, to be honest, I think a lot of people just like sticking in their genres. But um, but if they did, then we wouldn't have things like Factorio and um, you know Dyson Sphere program. And you know these are people pushing boundaries and i think as a designer we've got to like we've got to give you something new otherwise why why would you play what we're putting out like we need to move the industry forward Uh, well said well said yeah with some of these straddling genre things i feel like if if some people look outside of their neat organized zones a little bit they might find themselves quite well rewarded i'm just thinking in this case of when we were checking out high fleet not long ago because i went in not knowing what the hell that was and then i started playing it and you realize it's this mashup of like 14 different genres and it turned out to be a hell of a lot of fun i'm really enjoying it it's it's pretty much all i've been playing (laughs) it's yeah it's you go into it and you're sort of like oh this is just a regular campaign and then you start playing it and it's like a roguelite and it's got electronic intelligence gathering and this high level of strategy involved and then it's got a crazy ship builder and then it's got like arcade ship combat and there's all this different stuff thrown together and I've, I've never played anything like it it was completely off the wall but it ended up being awesome so I mean, if people like what you were saying about subverting expectations i feel like if people get out their box a little bit they might like what they find who who are we to tell people to you know subvert their expectations though they they like what they like right i mean you know it's awkward Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. I think with um, with games development particularly, I think it's dead right that we should be trying to push the genre forward. At the same time, how do you explain the constant 
you know, rehashes of things like Master of Orion, some of which are very good, by the way. Some some of my favorite games are Master of Orion remakes. So uh, there's no accounting for taste, basically. And, you know, people people like what they like. And I guess it's I guess it's up to the developer to to find his niche and find something he really enjoys and, you know, to kind of push that. And it sounds like you've done that because it sounds like you've got a real passion for your project. Oh, yeah. Well, I hope that comes across. Like, I think I think when you're talking about like remakes of things like Master of Orion, I think that's going to happen a lot. Like, you know how like the movies are remaking the classics all the time nowadays and, you know, very mixed uh, views on that kind of thing. But yeah, that's really absolutely. Part of getting old, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, well, that's happening in gaming a little bit as well, right? Like, um, yeah, people are remaking the classics. And I think to a certain degree, I agree that that's necessary. I don't know how I agree about things like The Last of Us being remade for the next generation when it clearly was good enough already. We got things like the Dead Space remake. Do we really need that? It's just a graphical overhaul. Not utterly convinced. I feel uh, like I'm getting old because, I mean, the, the Last of Us, I never even played that. And it, it feels like a new game to me that I missed because I was a little bit of a period of gaming where I, I, was, I didn't play games but between about... 2006 to about 2014 i'd say i had a big break uh, well no it was a bit later than that maybe 2007 to about 2009 because i was doing other stuff i had different priorities so i, I missed a whole swathe of these kind of big triple a games that everybody talks about so somebody talking to me about the last of us being remade that to me that's it's just like yeah okay if you're talking about remaking carrier command which is remade yeah that's that's oh, nostalgic yeah. to me right because that was i played that in the 80s when i was a kid <laughs> but like you know re- remaking a game that came out you know what what was it 10 years ago i guess last of us we must have been something i don't know like that. that's yeah it's, it that doesn't seem like something that somebody's doing for you know for nostalgia that seems like a cash grab and, yeah, I, don't know if I'm just, and I don't know if i'm just being cynical but i feel the same way about a lot of these movie remakes as well i think that you know there, there are a lot of these you know let's go back to the master of orion clones right there's a lot of these clones and some of them are genuinely made by people just wanted that game to be better right and that's a hard that's a tall order because the original master of orion is an incredibly good game but i think that uh with movies necessarily especially when you've got these big you know you've got, you've got investors involved essentially and it's the same with triple a titles uh, and I've, I've seen that uh, saints row has been remade recently and i can i can yeah. kind of get that with saints row because the original is very very old but still i think that you know there, there are going to be different reasons why people kind of read projects to get back onto the, the what i was trying to get at though i think with some of these uh, some of the game remakes that we are seeing they are passion projects and they are often because somebody saw you know, I mean, I'm I'm not saying this is what happened, but you know, I could I could perhaps look at what you've done with your game and say, well, hey, that guy kind of looked at Homeworld and he looked at Planetary Annihilation, or and he and it kind of sp- he was like, oh, I wonder if I can make this game better. You know, I wonder if I can mash these two things together and create something completely new. And I think that sometimes comes out when you passion projects like this. Well, like like I say, I mean, I started out as just making a regular forex. I guess mine grown from uh, humble origins to whatever it is now yeah uh it's interesting do you find that feature creep's an issue are you doing your best to kind of manage that i think people ask me about things on discord for example and because uh, i'm at i don't know like i'm 45 50 percent of the way through core development you know people are obviously uh, you know trying to find out what the game's going to have and i'm wary of you know saying too much or saying you know promising things that i shouldn't uh, somebody pointed out the like the No Man's Sky thing with Sean's interviews where he um, he kept going into an interview and basically, you know, promising the world. And, you know, they've had a redemption art, so it's fine to talk about that now. But Hopefully, I'm trying yeah. not to, you know, replicate that kind of thing. I So I don't think there's feature creep. I think there's 
necessary design choices are being made at the moment. Like, you know, I'm redesigning the train at the moment because I, I, you know, I watched the trailer probably 2,000 times now. It, I, I never want to watch it again. You know, I keep seeing those really, like, basic ground surfaces and I'm like, okay, I need to bring this up to modern times and actually make the ground surface interesting. Uh, and that affects other things, you know. So, like, I, I, I've done quite a considerable amount of work on how the units move on the ground and how you can build bases and, like, how those bases sort of connect together and that kind of thing. But now that I'm changing the terrain, I'm going to have to rethink how or at least rework how those buildings are placed because you might have uneven ground now and that kind of thing. But it's like, well, that has to happen, you know. So it's kind of iterative. I call it iterative. I don't know what the rest of the industry would necessarily call that. Maybe that is feature creep. I, I put the bases of something down uh, figuratively and then I go back to it. So you're cycling through your different parts of the game. And of course, I got quite a, a number of different things to focus on. Uh, and as one person, there's only so much time in the day. So it all takes ages, obviously, which is not fun. No, I don't think, I don't think feature creep has come in yet. I think that's a, an issue for much, much further down the road. Uh, at the moment, it's still core design, and it's just not necessarily the original design. Like I say, the original design was a Stars clone, and it clearly isn't that now. Right, yeah, I think I'd call that iterative, because if you've got feature creep, you're adding more stuff. But iterative, you know, you're going back and you're redoing things you've already done because you're not happy with them. Now, with regard to the, it's not even the ground layer because they're the same thing. With regard to ground operations, how... How does how does that work with like you've you've got defenses you've got resource harvesting operations what are you, what is the player doing on the ground? Okay, so I I feel like this is crucial because we all know what the space layer is. You're moving spaceships around. They're they're fighting with each other. You can't go wrong with that, right? Yeah, okay. There's going to be like supply ships going between them and that kind of thing, fighter craft and all that kind of thing. But generally, we've seen that sort. Of. So this is where we get into like new territory because we. There isn't really a game out there that necessarily does this, in, or at least not seamlessly, where you've got a fleet in orbit and you're like, okay, what are we going to do on the planets themselves? And it's got to be interesting. This is the thing. So part of my system is uh, procedurally generated, so the planets will add all the nature and variation and that kind of thing. But you can also place cities, you can place uh, points of interest, uh, you, you, know, you can place all sorts of things related to whatever story you want to tell or whatever adventure you want to have on that planet. Uh, but essentially, the idea is that, you know, your fleet is coming up on a planet. They do a survey. Uh, I'm not 100% sure how the survey is going to work. I've got like a scanning thing where you go around the ship, go, sorry, go around the planet and you can like scan the surface and you can find things. That might do. You know, I might play with that. The idea is you're, you're trying to find a good landing spot and then, you know, you send in the dropships down. You've already sort of pre-planned or at least thought about what kind of things you want to send down. So you'll send down a few scouts, maybe start scouting around the terrain. You'd be like, okay, here's a good spot for a base. And you can send down what I'm calling the earth golem. Uh, it's just like a construction builder type unit. And um, you send one of those down, they can do some basic mineral gathering, uh, like surface minerals, you know, just like uh, crystal type thing, coal, um, iron, basic sort of supplies. And you can build a base and then it becomes the settlers in space, I'm calling it. If you guys have ever played The Settlers, it's not necessarily a game most people would have played, but I like the idea that there's a very focused economy and that it's kind of quite item manage not management. I don't want to say that. There's you you think you you have a physical storage location that operates as the center of your 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 base of operations, I guess. And that is where all your supplies are. And then when you gather things with either either manually with the Golem unit or 
uh, automatically with like drones and little worker drones that you can assign to a certain task. They'll start bringing things back to your like your supply thing. And from there, you have to connect your other buildings, like little pathways. And this becomes a colony builder, I guess, to a, a sort of colony builder light. And by connecting those up, you'll see little units moving along the roads and, and moving the supplies around. So to build another building, you, you're just planting the foundation. And then from there, the actual building needs the building supplies delivered. They need a unit to build that building. And, you know, you actually see it sort of transform uh, in, in front of you as well. You then have to connect the power up. And from there, it's a case of there's not just going to be like five or six resources. There's actually an entire inventory system. And I guess this is quite different to what you'd see in these kind of games. It's, it's a bit more like Dyson Sphere, I guess. And it's a case of... You've got this. I want to convert it into this. But we're not going down the, the full automation route because there's not going to be like a whole bank of different machines that you can build. But there's going to be sort of certain refineries and those refineries can refine like coal and iron into so-and-so. And that gives you a material. And then that material can be used to build some parts. Put the parts together and you get a ship or you get a unit. So building units isn't a case of clicking on a building and going, I want one of those, and then waiting 10 seconds and it turns out it's a little bit more involved. And so this is how we make the planetary sort of exploration stuff interesting and keep you invested because you're, you're aware from a survival stance of what your fleet needs. It, it might need food. It might need water. You might need some new units. You might need some new ships. You might need to repair existing ships. You need to identify what you need, find the planets that have those things, and then do a base that's sort of built for that purpose. So you're not just having a build order and going, right, this, 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 this. You're actually focusing that base. And units are actually attached to the base, and they draw from the supplies in the same way. So ground units have fuel, they need supplies, that kind of thing. So they have a range. So they have a like a logistical range on your planet. And so that's based on what sort of uh, base they're attached to. So I, I guess, I'm, again, it comes back to having my cake and eat it. I really want to do everything and possibly too much. So again, with this sort of thing, you're looking for a, a fair degree of realism as well. Like you need your logistical support. Things aren't automatically crafted. You, ha you have a lot of input into how things are made. Right. So the things are being made, like they're being sent up to orbit because they're powering your ships. And then do you uproot your operations on the ground and move on or do they stay there when you move? Yeah. So the dropships can collect things as well. And so that, that all comes into the logistical side of things. Like if the enemy's caught up with you and you've got a massive base on the ground, you're probably going to have to abandon a lot of it. You might even have to abandon some units if you, you know, you, you've queued up the dropships and you're waiting. You know, you've only got a certain amount of them. And they need to be rebuilt if they get shot down. So, you know, you, you're having to do an evacuation, essentially, and fight a rear guard with whatever bit, sort of ships you've got for as long as you can. Uh, so there's that kind of element as well, like evacuating things from the ground. Okay. And when you're back up in this space, uh, you're fleeing from the enemy. After, like You've finished taking the resources off the ground and you're preparing to move on. With this enemy chasing you, is there ways of slowing them down in space? Like, is there are there navigational hazards that they need to get around? Are there ways of setting traps for them? How how would you go about stopping this enemy from catching you while you're trying to move through the game? So the way the enemy is ultimately going to work is um, it'll be like waves, and at the beginning of the game it'll be fairly forgiving, but then much later on you get they'll just jump all their capital ships in, and you'll be like, oh dear. So it'll be predictable. 
or at least for the story mode. So you'll know that at so-and-so time, for example, these two scout ships are going to jump in at this certain location. And obviously the AI takes over there and, and it, it, it's not necessarily exactly the same every time. You can place orbital structures as well. So I haven't done any work on that yet, but essentially it works exactly the same as the ground layer where you can build sort of like little stations and like little cradles so you can put a ship in and like do some maintenance work. You'll be able to set up orbital like turrets, that kind of thing. Uh, and that uses a different type of like builder unit that does it all in space. Uh, so there'll be things like that you can do. And because of the way the, like the planets and the moons and that are connected by like straight line, I don't want to call it a warp tunnel, but that's what it amounts to. Because you, even though it's fully three-dimensional space, you can't go anywhere. You can only travel between uh, interesting points. And, and I've done that deliberately so that there's choke points. So you can set traps in orbit, for example, at the exit point of a sort of certain, let's call it a warp tunnel. So you can do that. You, know, you can set turrets there, for example. You can hide on the other side of a planet. They won't be able to detect you. So sensors do line of sight type mechanics. And, and I and obviously uh, intend to eventually at least add all sorts of space-based phenomena, like everything I can, you can think of, really. I, I'd love to have that, you know, black, uh, black hole in the middle of the solar system that affects everything. Um, you know, like um, I, I, I assume Nebula will be in there, even though it's not necessarily super realistic. But yeah, so in terms of what you can do to slow the enemy, generally you'll be turning around and just trying to fight them as much as you can. Maybe try to lure them down to the ground to attack you down there as well. Uh, and eventually they're going to have to build bases anyway. Like the idea is the story sort of moves on to a point where even the enemy fleet is still running out of supplies and they're going to have to change up their own tactics, not necessarily chase you quite as aggressively as they have been and actually replenish their own stock. So you'll be able to sort of either, I don't know, take stock a little bit there or take the fight to them or like use the opportunity to find out about their technology and that kind of thing. So, yeah, that's interesting because even though, so even though they are this implacable force, they can be whittled down. You can single out units. Like you can, you can sort of engage in guerrilla warfare. You wouldn't actually be able to defeat them, would you? Cause that would be the whole point of the story is that you can't, you can't really beat them until presumably some ending of some sort. Yeah. So I do have the whole story sort of planned out more or less. So I don't want to say, uh, yeah, I don't want to give that away, obviously, but yeah, they, um, they're they real. They're, we're not going to go down Battlestar Galactica lines where the, the enemies suddenly have a religious change of faith or whatever. I'm not going to go that silly. Yeah, there's a reason they're following you and they are not unstoppable in a sense. And yeah, there, there's more to that you do, you do find out later. Sure. Now, one thing I meant to bring up earlier on was, is there anything about being an RTS, normally you're researching new technologies. Is there any of that going on, considering you're you're not coming from a base planet kind of thing? You're in a fleet that's fleeing throughout the galaxy. Is there anything in the way of like research, tech trees, that kind of thing? Yeah. So the research system, and admittedly, I haven't started on this yet, but the plan of it is that it works a little bit like XCOM, or at least the original, where you go on a mission. Obviously, we don't go in missions on FE, but bear with me. Uh, you know, you go on a tactical mission in XCOM and you, at the end of it, you find some stuff and it's like, oh, I've got this new thing I can research. And then you can devote scientists to it. So the idea is, it, I call that discovery-based research. I don't know whether there's a proper term for it, uh, but I'm, I, that'll do. So when you go down to the planets, 
when you find new resources or supplies or, or new sort of technology samples, basically that piece of technology gets added to your research thing, uh, research screen, and then you can select that and assign scientists to it, and then you develop technology based on that particular thing. So the idea is that you can actually miss things or you can choose to focus on very specific things. So you have to find more samples of a particular thing to do more research in that field. So you might, for example, sample a particular plant on a pl that you find on a planet that's not been on any other planet. And it turns out you scientists do your research, takes a certain amount of time in game time, and they discover this has some stealth properties, for example. I'm making this up, obviously. And so that leads you to a sort of subset of stealth technology. If you never sampled that plant, you would never get that technology. Or you might find another way to get something similar. And so the idea is there's this big bank of different things that you can sample, which leads to like a little mini, well, not necessarily mini, but like a tech tree in itself, which is sort of leads you to all different things. So that's the plan anyway. Right. So the system sort of seems to be seems to be sort of encouraging you to explore everything and interact with everything to maximize the potential for refining all those possibilities for researching new tech. Is that right? Yeah. So and obviously in the story, because everything's pretty preordained, eventually there would be like, well, we need to go to so and so planet to get this and then so and so planet to get that. And um, I'm OK with that. that. That's by design you will be able to learn sort of like the best places to get things like, and people will be like, we need to go to so-and-so planet earlier on in the story in order to get this. That's the best way to approach this. And so, yeah, like it gives you that power of foresight, I guess. The more you play it, the better you get. And I think I quite like that kind of gameplay where, well, it's not really gameplay. It's just a way of playing a game where you, you can become a master of it eventually. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty cool. It's, it, just makes uh, replaying the game over and over again. The more experience you've got, the more you can sort of plan your game out. Yeah, and there's, this also ties into the fact that you can choose which solar systems you move to. So within a certain degree that we're not talking about elite dangerous style uh, size of the universe, like when you start, you'll be in a system and then you can discover the warp jump points out of that system. In fact, until you find one, you can't jump out. And so you have to explore the system. And of course, you're, you're encouraged to explore the planets as well for the reasons we've discussed. Uh, so your, your scout ships are going out. You're trying to find jump points. And then you can do like a scan of the next systems. And you can be like, right, so that system's got seven planets. That planet looks like it might have so-and-so. And of course, you can upgrade this. You can get better at doing these long-distance scans. Then you pick which system you're going to jump to next. And then from there, it sort of chains outwards. So you can, that will have another couple of jump points and you can choose which solar system you're going to go from there. And of course, it doesn't expand outwards uh, unstoppably. It all kind of comes back in and at certain points, there will be like plot solar systems that sort of you're funneled back to regardless of which sort of systems you've taken to get to that point. Of course, there will be that same discussion where people will be like, oh, now you should go to Alpha Centauri first. That's clearly a better system to go to. And people would be like, no, 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 we get a Bernard star, you get so-and-so from so-and-so, and you don't have to deal with this. And so I'm quite like that it's non-linear, but it is scripted. Yeah, that's really interesting. Now, we've been following this for quite a while, and it's really cool how far you've come over the past year on your own. I just wanted to ask, where do you think you might be going from here, like future plans, um, to like future development plans, what's what's coming up kind of thing? Are we talking post-fragile existence or working on fragile existence? 
working on Fragile Existence after tonight? Like what's sort of in the pipeline that you're working on at the moment? Uh, so I guess next year is like the big year, I guess, like the year that I'm, I, you know, I hope it really grows and the game itself like takes fully shape and I can sort of start showing it off the way I want to. So really next year, possibly going to like uh, exhibitions, sort of showing the game off a little bit more. Obviously, this is a big, big maybe, but I kind of would like to do a demo next year, quite possibly um, for like the June Steam Next Fest, but that's you know, very, very provisional. That would be ideal in my book. And then aiming for like early access by the end of 2022. And I think that's going to have to happen. I mean, if we've been listening to like the sort of things I'm planning, you can see it's the kind of game that needs to grow. You know, it's going to be good, hopefully, when we get to EA, but it'll be amazing by the end of it. At least, you know, that's how I would like it to go. And obviously supporting the game going onwards for many years. Uh, I think there's a lot of potential for like the planetary tech, like the engine in general. Uh, So I guess, yeah, I'm just working on FE, slaving away and uh, try not to get too absorbed, I guess. I don't know. I think you want to get really absorbed, man. It sounds like you're you're making something really interesting, and and it's really piqued my interest because I don't play a lot of RTS anymore. I've got to be honest with you. And it, you know, the the idea that it's I still like playing Sins, and that's kind of technically an RTS, I guess, if we want to start going back down that genre thing. So it sounds like something that I'd actually like to try. I, I don't often play campaigns in these games either. So to play a game that's actually you know designed to be played as a story, that's kind of appealing to. Oh, cool. I mean, what appeals to me is you've mentioned co-op as well. I can see this being a really cool co-op game, especially if you can make your own scenarios. Like, I could make a scenario that probably lasts a couple of hours and then I could just say, hey, Ben, do you want to jump in for a couple of hours and play through this scenario? Just, mate, you can forward to that. That is the dream, yeah. We like to ask all of our guests, Lee, what games are you playing at the moment that are not your not your own game, assuming that you get any time for other games? The last game I actually played was Subnautica 2. And I never quite finished it. Like, I basically found everything. I'm right near the end. Uh, I tend to play story games. Uh, I know it's, yeah, contrary to what you might imagine. I, I think Todd says similar, actually. Like, doesn't tend to find as much time to play a strategy game these days. I'm looking, really looking forward to the Outer Wilds DLC as well. Like, I think Outer Wilds is an amazing game. If you haven't played that, you definitely need to. Not Outer Worlds. Never played that. Outer Wilds story, fantastic. That's what I've been doing lately. And, and like a little bit of research into strategy games. I played a bit of Sins recently. You, you, you got to make sure your game conforms to like the accepted norms when it comes to control schemes and things like that. So that doesn't really count, does it? So, yeah. Oh man, and that's like, that's one of the things that fans will roast you on as well. If if you've not got this kind of like, why why is it left click to select and right click to move when it should be the other way around or, you know, <laughs> and that's something that people can get really brutal about. on. <laughs> I like people really like using the middle mouse to rotate around a planet, but I, I like the right mouse button. So I guess I'm just going to have to give people the option. That sounds good, man. Well, um, thanks so much for talking to us, Lee. Your game sounds really, really interesting. And we're going to keep our eyes on it as, as the development continues. Um, have you got anything else that you'd like to say before we wrap up? No, I mean, I, I guess I feel like we've covered it all. Obviously, it's on Steam now, you know, the usual little marketing spear we could add on there. If you want to check out the trailer, of course, that's on YouTube as well. Pretty easy to find on Google these days. But apart from that, yeah, like, you know, have fun and <laughs> enjoy yourselves. It should be done. Awesome, man. Okay, guys, let's wrap up. Uh, this is Ben, Drexy, Sean and Lee for Explorminate. I'll catch you next time. Take it easy.